Psalm 4 is the passage I want to read, and I'm reading it because I was reading it this morning, and I was just thinking about Joseph. Now, Psalm 4 was written by David, written a long time after Joseph, but boy, wouldn't it have been a great psalm for Joseph to read. I think it would have really blessed him. Psalm 4 says this, "'Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer.'" O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But now that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, no, rather, that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, the Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they, uh, that they have when their grain and their wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's a beautiful psalm and uh, hopefully an encouragement to you if you are finding yourself in a season like Joseph where just the trials just seem to keep coming wave after wave, uh, that maybe that's a psalm that you want to cling to uh, before the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the words uh, of David in Psalm 4. I thank you for the words recorded in Scripture that bring us hope, especially in times when we are in times of trouble and trials and suffering. And God, we thank you for the life of Joseph, that through his life we see that even in the midst of our trials that we can, uh, we can be more than conquerors and that there's amazing things that you can do in and through our lives even in the difficult days. God, I pray this morning as we continue to study Joseph's life that we would be encouraged. I pray specifically, Lord, for those who are walking through a difficult season. I pray that you would minister to their souls this morning. And God, I pray for those who are here who maybe maybe they don't even know your son, Jesus. Maybe they've never put their faith in your son. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would recognize their need for a savior. That today they would cry out to you to be their Lord, to be their savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a saying which goes something like this. We'll see if you can finish it for me. No good deed goes unpunished. It's kind of sad, honestly, that so many of you are like, unpunished. Like, you know it, right? If you think about it, it's really a rather cynical way of viewing the way things work, right? But the reason why we all know this saying is because it really does capture the way that we have all felt at some point or another. At one point of time, we've all felt like we were being punished because we did the right thing. How many people feel like that? I did the right thing and I was punished for it. Here's an example. Have you ever been driving in traffic and you're driving down the road and you see somebody waiting to pull out. You ever seen that happen? And you're thinking, you know what? I'm going to be the nice guy. 
So you slow down and you let the person pull out. It's a nice thing to do. But as soon as you let that first car out, you realize you've opened the, the door here and like 10, 12, 14 cars immediately pull out behind them because they don't know when they're going to get another chance, right? So they're just car after car after car is pulling out in front of you. And you'd be fine with it. You would totally be fine with it, except that there's cars behind you, right? And what are they doing now? They're honking at you. How dare you? How dare you slow us down by letting 14, 15 cars? And you're like, I was just trying to do the right thing. But no good deed goes unpunished. Or how about this one? This is one I've had this happen a few times, and it, honestly, I don't get upset. I just I kind of chuckle at, it. I laugh. But you're walking through a door. You're getting ready to walk into a building or someplace. You're walking through the door, and you see there's somebody coming behind you. They're not far away, so you think, "Hey, I'm gonna do the right thing, and I'm just gonna pause and I'm gonna hold the door for them," right? And so you hold the door for them, and when they get close enough to you, for you to hear them, they say something snarky like, I can do it myself. I don't need your help. As though holding the door was somehow meant to imply their inability to open a door. Like, oh, really? I'm so shocked. I had no idea that you would actually be capable of opening a door. Wow, that's incredible. That one, that one always just surprises me, that they would be so upset that you would hold the door. But hey, no good deed goes. Actually, when we were in visiting our son in Chicago, I actually went to open a door for someone, and it, that, that didn't happen. What happened was the same situation as the cars. So I go to open the door, and there's a huge crowd behind that person. And I'm like, Who's, whose face do I slam the door in? So I'm just stuck there holding the door for like 20, 30 people coming, coming through because no good deed goes unpunished. Well, those are kind of, you know, silly examples, right? But I think we can all agree that there are times when doing the right thing can actually lead, actually lead to some very difficult circumstances, maybe even suffering. Last week, as we left off in our continuing study on the life of Joseph, we saw that Joseph was being thrown into prison, an Egyptian prison, because he chose to do the right thing. So let's just briefly recap what we covered last week. Joseph, after being sold as a slave by his older brothers, he ends up as, as a slave in Egypt serving in the house of Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And instead of becoming bitter and, and resentful, Joseph made a choice to be like the best slave that he could possibly be. And, and Potiphar took notice, right? Potiphar noticed that whatever Joseph did, it prospered. Everything succeeded in Joseph's hands. And so in chapter 39, we saw that God was with Joseph. Even though he was still a slave, God was prospering everything he did. And so Potiphar, recognizing the blessing that's on Joseph's life, says, look, I'm going to take advantage of this. So he promotes Joseph, and he makes Joseph in charge of everything in his house, and you remember last week, I talked about the fact that the only thing that Potiphar had to worry about was what? What he ate, right? He had to worry about what he would eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's all that Potiphar concerned himself with because Joseph had so much blessing and favor on his life. And if you're in Joseph's shoes, you're thinking, well, I'm still a slave, but at least things are starting to look up, right? I'm no longer the bottom slave in the house. I've now risen to the very top, at least his hard work and his godly character was being noticed, right? 
But that's not the only thing that was being noticed, right? Joseph was also noticed by Mrs. Potiphar, right? Because Joseph was an exceedingly good-looking man, right? And Mrs. Potiphar saw him, and she was determined that she was going to sleep with Joseph. And so day after day, she made advances toward him. And day after day, we're told that Joseph refused. He refused. He refused to compromise his character. He he refused to violate the trust that Potiphar had given him. And he refused to sin against God. Joseph did the right thing. Well, one day, as Joseph is going to the house to do his work, Nobody else was around, probably a setup. Mrs. Potiphar grabs Joseph by his coat and she tries to force him to be with her. But Joseph pulls some sort of a sweet move and and he leaves Mrs. Potiphar standing there holding his coat as he runs out of the house, right? He slipped free from Mrs. Potiphar. And she became so angry with Joseph because once again he had refused her that she fabricated a story, tells it to the other, the other people in the household, and then she tells it to her husband Potiphar when he gets home. And Potiphar becomes so angry that he has Joseph thrown into an Egyptian prison for crimes that he did not commit. It's rough, isn't it? If anyone could relate to the saying, no good deed goes unpunished, it would have to be Joseph, Right? And it would have been so easy for Joseph to just throw in the towel and give up. You know, I, I, I've done, I'm done with this. I'm done trying to do the right thing. I, I've done the right thing over and over and over again. And every time, things just get worse. I take two steps forward and, and, and five steps back, right? Can you imagine what it must have felt like to be Joseph? That's the way that I would probably feel. But that's the thing about Joseph. I mean, he doesn't. That's not how Joseph responds. Joseph doesn't give in to the feelings of hopelessness and despair. Instead of buying into the thought that no good deed goes unpunished, Joseph conducted his life as though no good deed goes unnoticed. No good deed goes unnoticed. Joseph understood that God is always watching. And even though things were not going the way that Joseph would have hoped, he continued to live his life to please the Lord. And this is one of the main things that I think we learned from Joseph's life, is that just because things are not going the way that we had planned, it doesn't mean that God is not working. God's timing, it may not be our preference, but we need to believe and we need to accept the fact that God's timing is always perfect. And Joseph knew that God was with him, and he lived his life like no good deed goes unnoticed. So whether he served as a, as a slave in Potiphar's house or, or, or whether he was a prisoner in, in Pharaoh's prison, Joseph continued to trust the Lord. So with that, Joseph is now in prison. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 40, And let's just look at the way that God continued to work in the life of Joseph. And by the way, as we enter into this chapter, I I told my wife this week, I cannot wait to get to Genesis chapter 41. Because it just, I feel so bad. I feel so bad for Joseph. Like every week, it's like just when you think things can't get any worse, this happens. 
right? And I'm like, man, the people at church, they're going to be like, man, is it ever going to get good, right? Poor Joseph, what a terrible, terrible thing he's been through up to this point in our series. Uh, But I promise, stick around uh, because things are going to get better uh, next week. But for today, it's just more trouble for Joseph. With that, here we go. Genesis chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the, in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now, we don't know exactly how long Joseph served in the house of Potiphar before, before he was sent to prison. Uh, long enough, right, for him to work his way up and, and eventually rebuff Mrs. Potiphar and eventually to be thrown in prison. And we don't know how long he was in prison before he ends up meeting the cupbearer and the baker. But after some time of being in there and after some time uh, of them being in the prison, he meets uh, the, the, the cupbearer and the baker. By the way, some of your translations call it the butler and the baker. And I told you uh, that I often refer to him as the butcher and the baker. But thankfully, the ESV calls him the cupbearer, which is actually a, a better picture of what he did. Uh, and hopefully, I won't call him a butcher today. Well, after some time has passed, the text says that Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker committed an offense against Pharaoh, which made him so angry that he put both of them in prison. So let's just talk a little bit about their roles, the cupbearer and and the baker, because first of all, we don't really have cupbearers today. Uh, We we do have butlers. Um, Batman had one, Um, right? Um, But I don't have one. Uh, But uh, bakers, we, we we have a baker, right over in the corner, Linda. And if we learn anything from this passage today, it's that you can't trust a baker. Um, <laughs> right, Linda? That's, that's the takeaway uh, from Genesis chapter 40. <laughs> that's right. Clayton wants to be the cupbearer for the baker. So, no, but these, these guys, the cupbearer and the baker, let's talk about their roles. Now, the, the baker, first of all, it says that they were both officers, they were both officers. They were high-ranking officials uh, for Pharaoh. And uh, verse 2 says um, that, uh, yeah, that they were officers. And one of them was a chief baker. And, and the chief baker was the one who was responsible for the food that Pharaoh would eat. Now, the second office was that of a cupbearer. And again, we don't have cupbearers today, but the cupbearer was the person who would sample the king's wine and probably his food as well. And, and they would sample this before the king or Pharaoh would eat in order to make sure that the food had not been poisoned. Um, what a great job. Um, you get to eat for a living until somebody makes an assassination attempt on the king and then you're out of work. Um, you're, you're done. By the way, this is the position that uh, Nehemiah served uh, under King Artaxerxes, uh, Artaxerxes of Persia in the book of Nehemiah. These were, though, they, they were incredibly important and they were trusted positions in Pharaoh's household. In fact, in many cases, in the, in, for example, like Nehemiah, people in these positions became trusted advisors to the king and, and oftentimes became friends 
with the king. And while the text doesn't tell us what the baker and the cupbearer did to make Pharaoh so angry, based on their positions, the one who makes the food and the one who tests the food, many commentators agree that it's likely, it is likely that, that maybe there was some sort of an assassination plot on Pharaoh and they caught wind of it and maybe two of the leading suspects in this plot were the baker and the cup bearer. But we know that whatever, whatever it was that landed them in this prison, they landed in this prison for another much bigger purpose. And that purpose was that they would meet Joseph. The text says that the captain of the prison guard assigned Joseph to attend them. They were under Joseph's care. And after being in custody for a while, verse 5 says, And one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the cupbearer and the baker, they've been in prison with Joseph for some unspecified amount of time. And on one particular night, both the cupbearer and the baker each have a dream that completely rattles them. It's not just a regular dream. Like we all have dreams, right? You have a dream and you wake up, you're like, that was so dumb, right? Or like, I know I had a really weird dream, but I, I can't even remember what it was. No, this is different. This dream is one that has rattled them. It has shook them to the core. And they don't know what the dream means, and, and they don't have anybody who can interpret it for them. Have you ever had a dream like that? Just a dream that you wake up and you're like, I have no idea what that is, but I really believe that God was, was trying to show me something. Have you ever had something like that happen? I have. Sometimes dreams are so real. Sometimes dreams are so real that you have to wake yourself up by like pinching yourself or something, right? To snap out of it, right? Because you're like, man, that was so real. Somebody was hurt or somebody was suffering. And you're like, man, that was, that was so real. And other times it's like, I, I wake up and I'm like, man, I feel like the Lord really put that person on my heart for a purpose. And, and, and the dream is so real that I, that I feel like I need to go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this dream? Now, not all dreams are like that, right? And I think sometimes people think that every time they have a dream, it's definitely some sort of prophetic vision. And so I don't know if you remember, but in, early in our series, when we talked about Joseph's dreams, I, I, I shared some, some thoughts about dreams. And I stressed the importance of recognizing that not all of our dreams are from the Lord. Sometimes it's just a, it's a matter of an overactive brain, right? Like you shouldn't have had that extra can of soda before you went to bed or that coffee or, or whatever it was. I also stress the fact that, that God's primary way of speaking to his children is through his word, right? It's through the Bible. And nothing that God ever speaks through a dream is going to contradict what he's already revealed in his word. And so while I believe that God can and does speak to people through dreams, even today, 
it should not be the primary way that we seek to hear from God. You know, it shouldn't be like every night when you go to bed, like, God, tonight, would you please speak to me through a dream? Why not just say, God, would you please speak to me through your word, right? That's the way that God primarily speaks to us. And if he speaks to us through a dream, then the final thing that I stress is make sure that if God is the one who gives the dream, make sure you get your marching orders and the interpretation from God as well. Amen? Well, the cupbearer and the baker, they've both had a, a dream, and these dreams, they are from the Lord. And both of these men are so troubled by their dream that they can't hide it. They, they are distraught. And when Joseph shows up in the morning to check on him, he says, why are your faces downcast today? Joseph looks at them, and, and he can see that they are carrying a, a very particular burden today. And it's kind of weird, right? Because where are they? They're in prison. So, hey, guys, why are you so sad? I used to be the cupbearer to the king. Um, uh, I'm in prison. What's wrong with you, Joseph? Like, duh, right? But it's more than that, right? It's, it's more than the normal sadness that they're carrying. There's, they are distraught. Their faces are, can't hide it. They're troubled to the core, and it's written all over their faces. But there's something else here that I think is kind of... Um, spectacular. It's amazing, really. And it reveals a whole lot about Joseph's character, because guess who else is in prison? Joseph. And Joseph is there, and we know that he's there not because of anything wrong that he's done, right? If anyone was going to walk around with his head hanging low, we would expect it to be Joseph. He was in prison for a crime that he did not commit. But instead, Joseph is caring for the hurts and the needs of others. He sees the pain on their faces, and he genuinely wants to help them. This is another example of how Joseph is like Jesus, isn't it? In the book of Matthew, we're told that Jesus was traveling around. He was going from city to city, and, and he was preaching in villages, and he was teaching, and he was healing people. And we're told in, in, in Matthew chapter 9 that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. That was Jesus. He was always looking to the needs and the hurts of others. And Joseph, like Jesus, has a heart that is moved with compassion for others. When he sees the pain on the faces of the, of the cupbearer and the baker, he genuinely wants to help. You know, I, I bet you can think of people, even in this church, that are like that, right? People that when they say hi to you, you know they're looking past the superficial, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you? They can see when you're carrying a burden, can't they? And they're not just content to see it. They then press in a little further and say, what's going on? Talk to me. How can I be praying for you? You look heavy today. You, you look like you're carrying something. You know, that's how we're all called to be. You know, we're supposed to do that for one another. You see, Joseph, Joseph had pains and he had hurts of his own, right? But he didn't allow his pain and he didn't allow his hurts to keep him from caring for the pains and the hurts of others. In fact, and here's a really cool thing. I believe that when we take our eyes off of our own pain and we, and we focus on the pain 
and the hurts that other people are going through, there's an amazing thing that happens, isn't there? You already know what I'm going to say, don't you? There's an amazing thing that God does in our hearts when we lift up our eyes and we begin to care and, and, and serve others who are hurting. God begins to heal the hurts and the pains that we carry. It doesn't mean that your pains and your hurt aren't, aren't justified. It doesn't mean that they aren't real, but God does something in our hearts when we focus on loving and serving others. Well, Joseph was moved. He was moved with compassion. So he says, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Joseph invites them to share their burden with them, and he tells them that the answer to their burden is found with God. God's the one who gave the dream and God is the one who will bring the interpretation. Verse nine says, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you will place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cup bearer. Verse 12 says that Joseph said, this is the interpretation. The, the three branches are three days. Question, how does Joseph know that the three branches represent three days? Why not three hours? Why not three weeks, three months, three years, right? How does Joseph know? God, right? God revealed the interpretation to Joseph. And Joseph is so confident that the Lord has given him the meaning that he boldly shares the interpretation with the cupbearer. This reminds me of the boldness that we see in, in Peter in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter three. I love this story. Uh, we're told that Peter and John, they were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, right? And you remember what happens. As they're going up, there's a man begging, right? And he's been, he's been crippled since birth and he's begging for money. He says, do you have any change that you can give me? And, and we're told that Peter says to him in Acts chapter three, verse six, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, right? And raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Isn't that an amazing story? Don't you love that story? I love it too. But I always wonder, like what if Peter grabbed him by the hand and said, be healed, pulled him up, and he just kept going, right? What if he wasn't? I mean, Peter had to have enough faith to speak out the truth that he believed that God was speaking to his heart. It took faith. And I think we read that and we're like, yeah, of course, you know, of course. Listen, Peter and John had walked by that crippled guy many times before. It's not like the guy was like, it's his first time ever visiting the temple. No, Peter and John and this crippled guy probably was there all the time begging for change, right? It's how he lived. But on this day, because Peter was walking in the spirit, 
Peter heard the Lord tell him, heal that man. And Peter had the faith to reach out and grab the man by the hand and speak the words of life and heal him. It's an amazing story. Well, in the same way, Joseph is here with this this cupbearer and he has enough faith to speak the words. In three days, you're gonna be back serving Pharaoh. In three days. And in three days, everybody's gonna know if Joseph is legit or if Joseph is a phony, right? But Joseph knows. He knows. He's confident. In verse 14, Joseph says, he says this, only remember me when, not if. Like, if this happens, please remember me. No, he said, remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph asked the cupbearer to remember him when he is restored to Pharaoh's service. And this brings up a a really good point. Just because the Lord is using you in the place where you are currently serving does not mean that you cannot make efforts to improve your position. I mean, Joseph used some good old common sense here, didn't he? he? He recognized an opportunity and he didn't say, well, you know, God's really using me here in prison, so I might as well just stay here for the rest of my life right? No, he sees an opportunity. And so he says, listen, you're going to not get out of prison. And I'm an innocent man. Would you please make mention of me to Pharaoh? He thought maybe, just maybe Pharaoh will look into my case and he'll realize the the wrong that's been done to me. Would you please remember me? Well, as Joseph is interpreting the cupbearer's dream, there's another guy listening in, right? His name's the baker. And the baker's listening, and in verse 16, we read this. He says, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Number three is in it too. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. See, the baker was listening, right? He was listening as Joseph was interpreting the cupbearer's dream. And he's thinking, wow, this is a pretty good interpretation. This is good news. My buddy, the cupbearer, he's going to be working for Pharaoh in in, in three days, right? And, And my dream has three things too. So maybe, just maybe, in three days, I'm also going to be freed from prison and I'm also going to be restored to Pharaoh's service. So he says, Joseph, do mine. Joseph, tell me what my dream means. (laughs) The only thing that's sadder about what Joseph interprets, to to be honest, is just how excited the guy is to hear it. You know? It's like, I mean, like, I, maybe he's guilty. Maybe he deserves what's about to happen to him, but I still feel bad because he's like so excited, right? Verse 18, Joseph says this. Joseph answered and he said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. At this point, the baker's probably like, yes, I knew it. I knew it. Keep going, keep going. 
verse 19, he said, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Ugh. That is not what he wanted to hear. I feel like I can say with incredible confidence that that is not the message that the baker thought was coming, and it certainly is not the message that the baker wanted to hear. But I think I can also tell you with, 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 with a great degree of confidence that I don't think it was a message that Joseph was excited to deliver. You know? Joseph was given an interpretation, but it was a hard message for him to deliver. I really believe, I really believe that Joseph really cared for these two people in his care. I really believe that when he saw them downcast, I think his heart was really moved with compassion. I think he looked at these guys and said, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's going on? You're so sad today. What can I do? How can I help? I really believe that Joseph was probably moved with compassion as he had to speak this hard truth to the baker. I don't think it brought Joseph great joy to tell this to the baker. I actually, when I picture it, I picture tears in Joseph's eyes as he has to share this heavy truth. You know, telling the cupbearer the good news that he's going to be restored to Pharaoh, that's, that's easy, right? I mean, who doesn't like to bring good news, right? But when it's time to reveal bad news, that's a different story, isn't it? But Joseph was faithful, and don't miss this. Joseph was faithful to speak the truth, even when it wasn't what the baker wanted to hear. Joseph was faithful to speak the truth, even when it wasn't what the baker wanted to hear. And brothers and sisters, I think there's a really important lesson that we need to learn from Joseph here. If we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus... If we're going to be faithful ministers of the good news of the gospel, then we also need to be willing to speak the truth even when it's not what people want to hear, right? Because what good would it have done for Joseph to say, oh, it's all going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Three days, probably just like the cupbearer, Right? The fact of the matter is we don't do people any favors when we lie to them, right? We have a really important message. The gospel is good news, but it's good news because there's bad news, right? The bad news is, is that we need a Savior because we're all sinners. That's bad news. And we're not doing anybody any favors when we tell them that sin doesn't matter, right? Sin does matter. Sin is what separates us from God. But the bad news isn't the only news. And so we don't have to feel bad about sharing the bad news because we have really good news to follow it up with, right? And that is that your sins are not final. Your, 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 your sentence isn't final. God has paid the price for your sins. and You can be forgiven. But I think there's something else too. I think we need to remember that, that not only are we supposed to speak the truth, I think we're supposed to speak the truth in love. You know, there, there's nothing more un, unattractive, 
honestly, and there's, honestly, I think it's so unchristlike is somebody who's so excited to speak the truth of damnation to somebody without being willing and ready to present the good news. Is there anything uglier than somebody who seems happy to, to say that somebody's going to hell? It's hideous. And it's so not Christ-like, right? To just, to just run around telling everybody, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. We need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth in love. It's one of the things that make Jesus so incredible, isn't it? His ability to speak truth, even hard truth, in a way that the hearer knew that he loved them. Think of the woman who was dragged before Jesus, the woman caught in adultery, right? Jesus didn't say, oh, it's no big deal. No biggie. Whatever, do your thing, right? No. No, he confronted her with the truth that it was wrong. It's sin. But he brought hope with him too, didn't he? And she knew that he cared. He knew. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible tells us Jesus, the Word, became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is the only Son of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. He never compromised one for the sake of the other. Do you get that? He was 100% grace and 100% truth in everything that he did. And that's exactly how we are called to live our lives as well. Like Jesus, we can treat, uh, speak the truth and we can speak it in love, full of grace and full of truth. Joseph was faithful to speak the truth to both the cupbearer and the baker. And for three days, for three days, I imagine that they both waited to see what would become of Joseph's interpretation. You, the cupbearer, no doubt, was like, man, I sure hope he's right. He must have been filled with anticipation like three days. Man, if this guy's right, I'm out of here. I'm going to be back serving Pharaoh. This is great. I hope he's right. But just the opposite for the baker, right? For three days, he's thinking, I hope this guy's a quack. I hope he's wrong. I hope, I hope I stay in prison, right? Boy, prison sure seemed good to the baker at that point, didn't it? Verse 20 says, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the servants. Brings them both in, lifts them up. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Everything happened just as Joseph said it would. And I imagine that as news spread down into the prison, I imagine Joseph at that point might have begun to feel some hope. Don't you think? Like, remember, I told the cupbearer that once you're back with Pharaoh, remember me. Please, just, just mention me to Pharaoh. And for maybe a day or two or a week or two weeks or maybe a month, Joseph is waiting. He's like, any day. I just know it. Today's the day. They're going to they're gonna come down here and, and they're going to say that, hey, the cupbearer talked to Pharaoh and he's going to hear your case or he's going to release you from this prison. Any day now. Any day now. Any day now. 
But in verse 23, we read, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Wow, right? Forgotten. No good deed goes unpunished. I wonder how many days or weeks it took before Joseph realized they're not coming. They're not coming. He forgot me. The cupbearer had forgotten Joseph, but God, God hadn't, had he? God was with Joseph. And we're going to see it really clearly next week that God was working even through all of this. And I don't know why God needed to keep Joseph. We're going to find out next week. It's going to be two more years. Two more years. The text actually says in chapter 41, two full years. For two full years, Joseph sat there and said, man, he forgot me. Here I am. I'm in a pit. I'm in a prison. I don't deserve to be here. And the text never really tells us why God kept Joseph there longer. But God was doing something. There was something that God was doing in Joseph's life to prepare him for what was just around the corner. But two whole years he had to wait. Brothers and sisters, maybe you right now are in a season where you feel forgotten. Maybe you're in a season of life where, where the trials and difficulties, they just keep coming at you wave after wave. And maybe for you, it is hard. It's hard to just put one fr- uh, foot in front of the other, right? Like it's hard sometimes just to get out of bed in the morning. If that's you, my prayer is that like Joseph, you would cling to the truth that no good deed goes unnoticed, God is watching, and He is with you. That's what we looked at last week, that God was with Joseph. He was with him in Potiphar's house, and He was with him in the prison. My prayer is that like Joseph, even in in the midst of your pain, that you would have eyes to see the hurts of those around you that you wouldn't become so focused on your own pain that you fail to see the needs of the people all around you. I want to encourage you that maybe that's the step that you need to take right now. If that's where you're at, if you're feeling that way, maybe it's time to say, how can I serve? Who do I need to focus on? Who needs my prayers? Who needs an ear to listen to? And finally, my prayer is that like Joseph, like Joseph, that we would be faithful ministers of the gospel, that we would be willing to speak the truth in love to those that the Lord has put in our, in our path. And you know what's really great? You know, as hard as it is to tell someone the bad news, as I said before, we have good news that follows it, right? You know, poor Joseph, all he had to share with the baker was the bad news, But we have good news that we can share with people. The bad news, again, is that sin has separated us from God, right? The Bible says that we have all sinned. And if you're you're breathing right now, you know that you have sinned. You know that you have done things that have separated you from God. The Bible also tells us that God 
made a way to pay for those sins. He sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sins. The bad news is, is that you're, if you've never received Jesus, that you are separated from God. And it's an eternal separation if you don't receive his son, Jesus. That's bad news. It's bad news. And, and we're not doing each other any favors if we just say, oh, you know, do what you want. If you want to follow Jesus, follow him. If you don't, don't. It doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters. If you don't know Jesus and you die, you will be separated from him for all eternity. You'll be separated from God for all eternity. That's bad news. But the good news is that Jesus came into this world and he paid the price for our sins. He covered the debt for our sins. He died in our place. 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross. And he was buried in a tomb in Jerusalem. And three days later, he came back to life. And with his death, he defeated sin. Yeah? And with his resurrection, he defeated death, didn't he? And because of his death and because of his resurrection, because he paid the price for our sins, he then offers forgiveness to all who will receive him. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not be separated for, eternal life, for eternity, but would receive eternal life. The good news is that our sins can be forgiven. And so if you're here today and you have never received the forgiveness of God, then today's the day, right? Today's the day where it's time to say, yes, thank you, God, for sending your son to die in my place. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus for me. And thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for my sins and rising from the grave. And so this morning, if you have never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray a prayer. Um, there's nothing magic about the words that I'm going to pray. What matters is what's in your heart. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And are you willing to say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins? Are, are you willing to say, Jesus, I want to follow you? Would you be my Lord? And would you be my savior? That's, that's the magic. That's where it's at. It's what's in your heart. So what I say, I'm going to ask you if you want to pray to receive Christ this morning, you can just repeat after me. But what's really important is what's taking place in your heart. Okay? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for the, the, the privilege that we have to 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 read about the way that you worked in and through Joseph's life. And God, this morning, I want to thank you that Joseph was willing to, 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 to speak both the good and the bad news. Because he modeled something for us. God, we recognize that there is bad news. The bad news is, is that we were separated from you. The good news is that we can receive forgiveness because of you. And so, God, this morning, if there's somebody here this morning who has never received your son Jesus as their Savior, God, I pray that right now that you would, you would break through any fear, that you would break through any pride, anything that's holding them back from giving their life over to you. I pray that you would break through that right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that they would, with confidence, pray these words. Lord Jesus, 
thank you. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner. I know that in my life I have done things that go against what you would have me to do. I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I recognize that because of my sin, I'm separated from you. But Jesus, you died for my sins. And I want to ask you to come into my life. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life and help me now to live for you? Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for giving me life. Help me now to live for you. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.